0: Hello and welcome to the Shepherd Walwyn podcast series. My name is Jonathan Brown. Shepherd Walwyn is a campaigning book publisher based in London, England. Our purpose is to uncover and promote new ideas to society's oldest problems. And whilst our specialty is ethical economics, something Anthony Werner, our driving force for over 40 years has pioneered, we have branched out over the years to other related areas such as the environment and the lives and works of society's change agents. These podcasts promote ideas we're convinced can actually help us build a better society for all of us. So have a listen and be sure to share with your friends if you like them, but also tell us what you think. These are debates we all need to be part of. Today we welcome back Eddie Billamore to the podcast to talk about the second volume of his stunning work, Unfolding Consciousness. Now as a quick recap, Eddie is an award-winning engineer, glider pilot, concert pianist, philosopher and lifetime student of the ancient wisdom, the perennial philosophy. Now, book two is the shortest volume in the series, so I've presented this conversation in one installment. But in many ways, it could be the most impactful for the reader, as it puts us beings under the microscope. And in just over 200 densely packed pages, Eddie manages to integrate almost all of the wisdom traditions in one breathtaking coherent picture. And this could be the most extraordinary intellectual feat I've ever experienced, as an interviewer of the Shepherd Walwind podcast, I always strive to remain as objective as possible and yet increasingly I find that impossible with Eddie's work because it's slowly changing my whole worldview so if you have an interest in the area that Eddie covers, I guarantee he will shake your view in the politest yet most thorough way you can imagine. So my invitation is to listen to the interviews in this series but then to buy the books and take a year or two to digest them So without further ado, Let's get into the interview. Eddie, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Um, So, Eddie, we've gone through book one, Mm -hmm. and today we're going to be focusing on book two, volume Mm -hmm. two, which is Peering Down the Microscope, Man's Mm -hmm. Internal Landscapes. So I just wonder if you could just give us a little bit on the context of, of carrying on from book one, and what's the purpose of book two?
1: Yes, surely. The overall context... Jonathan, um, as we see on the slip case, is that while we sincerely applaud the achievements of science and technology, there is still a a spiritual vacuum that's been created as a result of excessive materialism. And that vacuum has been so effectively um, highlighted by great people like uh, Carl Jung, who wrote the book, modern man in search of a soul, and Paul Brunton, the spiritual Christ of a man. So the raison death is to show that the perennial philosophy, the spiritual philosophy, the esoteric science provides that missing complement, which in association with science gives us a rounded picture of the whole world and ourselves in it so the purpose is to highlight the central role of the perennial philosophy as a complement to science
0: so so so, so looking at, at this mm-hmm. eddie um and looking at book two the thing that amazed me as someone that was i guess mm-hmm. a um i don't know an, an atheist in recovery or or something like that i've just gradually through my life gradually becoming more open to the mm-hmm. a spiritual um mm-hmm. side of life what what absolutely amazed me was the degree of of what i can only describe as scientific research and conclusions that have come mm-hmm. through the perennial philosophy mm-hmm. that has been utterly missing in modern western society um and we've just been left with this um this utterly unsophisticated and and basic view of god as if it's some kind of um you know potentially vengeful father christmas um when actually the the whole philosophy of of that you you explore in the book the philosophy of perennius um gives us so much more detail so i'm very keen that we can we can get into that um
2: mm-hmm.
0: get into that today really yes yeah, surely so that when you um Book one started, volume one started with who or what am I? Um, and followed by the rejoiner, man, know thyself. Um I'm just wondering what's it like again, just why are you focusing on the individual
1: there? I'm focusing on the individual for two reasons, really, so that we really know ourselves, of course. But more importantly, so that we know ourselves in relation to other human beings, in relation to nature, and in relation to the universe as a whole. So one of the, I'd say three of the unique features of um, volumes one, two, and three, but two especially, is that science, religion, philosophy are all subsumed. They're all swept under, the the grand arch of the perennial philosophy. And the great teachings are absolutely universal, whether from the East or from the West, whether ancient or modern, they are universal. They convey a central message. And they help to resolve many of the conundrums in science, especially regarding the whole subject of consciousness.
0: Now, one of the, one of the fascinating things is that you shared was some data from um, NASA's science newsletter. Yes. <laughs> um, I just wonder, so because I'm just wondering, is has modern science finally come to the conclusion that they need to embrace
1: occult science? Sadly, no. Modern science, as a body, no. I would say that with certain amount of sad confidence many scientists have indeed done so especially in the galileo commission of the scientific medical network one person the one great scientist who has is of course ervin laszlo Mm. they wouldn't call it occult science of course but they urgently and desperately see the need for a post-materialist science which is not i i again emphasize it is not castigating material science in its proper place but it's seeing the need to move beyond bernard carve in the scientific and medical network the president um, many uh, great scientists who were in the theosophical society and then also in the scientific and medical network peter leggett who was vice chancellor surrey university Arthur Ellison, who was thrice president of the Society for Psychical Research. So they are luminaries individually. But the body of science, absolutely not, Jonathan. And uh, as a, a little example of how they are completely wedded to a materialistic explanation or explain away, I read with some horror in molecular biology that um, they have discovered discovered that the reason we love our grandchildren is thanks to gonorrhea the disease that occurred several generations ago by therefore by virtue of such mutation and genetic progressions Uh, we sort of need to love our grandchildren. And if you think um, I'm exaggerating, this is an academic paper. Now, we immediately would ask ourselves, why not love our children? Why our grandchildren? What about our parents? What about our friends? So it is ludicrous to put the love of grandchildren done to gonorrhea and i can provide this reference
0: we know, I, I think it would um it would be time that we'd never all would none of us will get back i think that the thing that mm. also as well just you know my some of the my areas i just see more and more scientific papers that are more and more blindingly obvious mm. uh but was, there was some data that you quoted on um in the introduction um, in the NASA um, newsletter, yes, saying that sure. um, according to their comp- their um, conclusions, mm-hmm. um, the universe is made up of 5% of, of baryonic, baryonic matter,
1: matter yes. which
0: is that's normal matter that we would all recognise right. as matter. Yes. But then that leaves 95% of what they estimated 68% dark mm-hmm. energy mm-hmm. and 27% mm-hmm. dark matter, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, the stuff that we didn't know existed until very mm-hmm. recently.
2: Yes
1: so unless we are outside the universe somehow <laughs> some of that approximately 95% of matter so to speak must also constitute our being and the um, and the being of other creatures
0: and that this the the extra the 95% is something that we've only recently our scientists have only yes, recently, only recently. I mean, yes. discovered mm. um and it's and yet they know next to nothing about it
2: yeah
0: um, and they have an imperfect we have an imperfect understanding of the five percent that we do know exists
1: exactly and um, they pontificate on that basis
0: yeah so, it, so if I only knew you um a bit about five percent of my field then I, I think I'd have mm. more humility <laughs> um personally Indeed just thinking about getting into our dialogue now mm-hmm. um, just about the the whole area around of, of you know man know thyself mm. um i just wonder why have we got so confused about um
1: about ourselves
0: who and what we are
1: mm. well the philosophical answer if it be an answer is that we become so fascinated with our image our self-image and uh, on our first podcast i think i gave you the um, uh, example or the story of the greek myth of the god bacchus who was um, torn to pieces by the giant titans who then scattered the body of uh, the god far and wide but jupiter the god of bacchus hold his thunderbolt and reduce the scattered body to, of the Titans to ashes. And from the ashes, uh, the body of man was created. But because the ashes contained a portion of the Bacchic body, each person is part God, Bacchus, and part Titan. Now, how did the giants ensnare the God? by getting him to be fascinated with his own image in a mirror. So the the sort of top-level answer to your question, I believe, is that self-fascination, confusing self with appearance, mistaking the map for the territory, confusing thought concepts, with that which has produced the concept and other reasons are the society we live in the fascination with technology with excessive technology and with just about everything that distracts you from your own self-knowledge and self-awareness You know, and
0: the idea that that we're, we're as as a, as a Western society we're recreating the the great myths. We're right. all becoming self-obsessed with our own reflections, mm-hmm. um, and 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 our own, as you were saying, confusing confusing mm-hmm. your appearance with who you mm-hmm. are. Um. I mean, it's a it's a quietly mm-hmm. terrifying prospect, really, isn't it? One
1: one only has to look at the current political scene and how um, television and performance. Counts for everything. And uh, the three guidelines for uh, a future leader put forward by a senior conservative, I believe, was, well, a serious mind, yes. High-end media skills and electioneering Hmm. skills and success. What about character? What about leadership? What about quality of thought? None of that seems to figure. It's how you appear, how you come across.
2: Yeah. Now, so on, a, on
0: a more positive note, so instead of, mm-hmm. instead of this vision of, of, of human beings as, as hackable animals or yeah, bags right. of atoms, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you have a, a wonderful quote that you have in, um, from Hamlet um, mm-hmm. of what a piece of work is man. Yes. How how noble in reason, how infinite in faculties, in form and moving, how mm-hmm. express and admirable in action, how like an angel in apprehension, how like a god, and and you add that with with Schrodinger's um, well which seems to lead to that the mm-hmm. ideas from the mm-hmm. Vedas or the the key mm-hmm. truth of of Thou art that, um, and so the so the perennial philosophy suggests that we're we're on the way to becoming gods, and as you you use the um, the analogy there or the allegory of the the story. Um, I just wondered if you can expand a little bit on that.
1: See, the Vedas are are quite unequivocally pointing out that in your deepest self, you are one with the divine consciousness. Now, uh, Schrodinger, uh, in his book, I think, What is Life? uh, Quite uh, clearly said that uh, the deepest, most profound uh, Conclusion of the Vedas is Atma equals Brahman. In other words, the div- individual self equals the universal self. But then this begs the question if I am the universal self, you know, how is uh, there so much evil and suffering in the world and all the rest of it? And that is because people confuse levels. So, what applies at the highest level? It does not apply um when that level descends, so to speak, in, into materiality.
0: Mm. Well, I think we can get we'll be getting into that um in mm. a little while, won't we? And I just want mm. just before we get into it, um I've got a, a friend who is um who is into the theosophical um mm. insights, and she was telling me that when um Madame Blavatsky um did her research and then and then wrote the books, right. Um, she was saying that some information had to be given out in a, in a veiled way so yes, that only those goodness. who possessed the yes. esoteric key could yes. unlock the inner meaning. Mm. Um, and I just wondered, what are your thoughts on publishing and being so clearly um, publishing these teachings in 2022?
1: Right. The teachings were given out through Ravatsky in a progressive manner and the highest teachings were reserved for the esoteric section and the inner group. Now, why were these teachings given up in the first place? And there is a a beautiful saying of one of the uh, Adept founders, one of the masters, that between brutal materialism and religious superstition, the white dove of truth knows not where to place her weary foot so in the 19th century there was an explosion in in science in material science and there was also no end of religious superstition so trapped between (laughs) scylla and charybdis so to speak the white dove of truth doesn't know where to place her weary foot so the central purpose of giving out these teachings then was to show where the White Dove of Jew could put her foot down. Mm. But in order to do that, um, there is the great question of um, freeing the mind from the weight of prejudice and opinion in science and also freeing the mind from no end religious small r. Superstition. Therefore, the teachings were given out progressively and explained in a stepwise fashion as far as possible, and whenever possible, corroborating those teachings and furnishing those teachings with the um, explanations from modern science compatible with the intellectual and cultural media of of the time now why dangerous because anything that unfolds our inner powers can be misused so even at the most basic physical level the more we develop our muscles say our hands and legs we can use those muscles constructively or we can use those muscles destructively to fight with people. Similarly, our inner faculties of consciousness can be thoroughly misused and abused when teachings are given out that are not right for the time and display too much information for the unprepared. And the overriding um, danger is uh, derangement and a uh, loss of uh, the mental faculty by virtue of forces evoked in the mind when one is not prepared or unprepared with a, a insufficient willpower to handle everything that is being uh, evoked.
0: And your feeling of why it's okay to do it now?
1: Well, you know, it is a, well it's okay definitely to do it now because um, it, it's the pressure of evolution that has called it forth, so to speak. So um, there's another lovely saying which I'll paraphrase, that occult science drops its pearls only very far and wide apart And only when forced to do so by the evolutionary pressure, because, pearls to swine analogy, those pearls, which are blessings in the hands of the wise, used philanthropically, can become curses in the hands of the unwise. And it's all right to do it now, but only a part of those teachings but only a fraction of the teachings have been given out Jonathan not the whole teachings mm-hmm. but even that fraction becomes necessary to arrest the march of uh, scientific materialism
0: and and just finally on that the, the point mm-hmm. about Blavatsky is it is it, I know that um you say that she didn't work to create a religion
2: Mm, um, not
0: but rather just to share the wisdom of mm. theosophy as a living power in our lives yeah. what do you say to those who do claim that theosophy begins and ends with her and her work
1: well, i would i would say very forcefully you just haven't understood it because in um chapter one actually i talk about um one of the dangers in the subject on terminology there are minds unfortunately, who only like to work in dichotomies, it's black or white. And Blavatsky herself said, and i quoted that, that um, as a body of knowledge, Theosophy has nothing to say and nothing to teach, meaning that there are other approaches. And the second object of the Theosophical Society Is the comparative study of science, religion, and philosophy. Annie Besant, the great uh, second international president, made it very clear that the teachings do not start or end with Blavatsky. The General Council resolution of the Theosophical Society, the International Council, one of their resolutions is that. no man has any right to force teachings down anyone's throat and claim that Blavatsky is the only teacher to be respected and followed. She followed in the stream of wisdom teachings. So to those who say that Blavatsky is the ultimate, that shows, if I may say so, an intellectual weakness and a Um, and a desire not to understand and to be very comfortable in just one set of um, mental concepts Mm. it is a, a very sad misunderstanding she'd be the very first person to say explore carry on don't take what i say for granted find out for yourself
0: and that and that's really where the the whole the whole series begins isn't it with with yeah. chapter one of book one which is yeah. um you know and trust yourself and and learn to trust yourself more and more through experimentation mm. and mm. and reflection and your own research yeah um, brilliant the,
1: the, the best musical example is bark every musician on earth reveres bark but to say all music starts and ends with bark would be talking rubbish and no mu- musician would ever say that what mm. they would say that the wonderful foundations uh, established by Johann Sebastian Bach were taken forward by others, by Handel, by Mozart, by Beethoven, Chopin, revered Bach, took it forward. So I wrote a paper some time ago saying back to Blavatsky or forwards with Blavatsky. It's forwards with Blavatsky.
2: Mm.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. Well moving on then um so one of the first maybe misconceptions we can get is if we if we're putting forward the argument that um we are all one, we're all spiritual mm-hmm. beings mm-hmm. um where does evil and cruelty come from then if we're all so we're all
2: spiritual
1: Everything comes from the source, but we tend to regard <laughs> the source uh, as. You know, ter- terribly loving and kind and spiritual. There, there is that jet for bifurcation, where if you take the example of a, a fruit from a tree, it's pure fruit, and then it turns extremely rotten, doesn't it?
2: Mm.
1: Now, why does it turn rotten? It's within the fruit itself to turn
2: rotten or to stay pure so um, evil I- is really the
1: corruption of the spiritual rather than an independent principle it is the corruption of the spiritual and that which is most pure can easily be corrupted well then
0: they're moving on to that that what can be corrupted um, uh, in the first chapter, you cover and clarify the composition of man mm. um, constitution, nature. Can mm. you explain briefly what they are and what the difference is?
1: Yes, constitution is uh, how we are made, and nature is how we function in medical terms, it's the distinction and the overlap between anatomy and physiology. So your anatomy is your structure but as a result of your structure you will it will determine your nature you can only act as you are made you are made in order to act in a certain way so one is the static dimension the other is the dynamic aspect
0: right can you expand on that a bit more Eddie? i'm not i don't think, i don't think i fully understood that
1: right Um. You, you can look at anything in terms of an active principle yeah. and its form. Now, the active principle is what drives anything. The form is the medium and the expression and the body that's needed to be so driven. So the the, the, the your nature is how you behave, how you act, but you only act in that way as a result of how you are made. how you are put together.
2: Yeah. So that uh, I can only express the
0: active principles in me through the form that I've got, or the form mm. that I have mm. shapes and forms the active mm. principle.
2: Right. Uh,
1: right. Right. Uh, This distinction between the active and the the passive medium is, is, is very important. And let me give some examples. Active and passive are relative terms. In order to make a violin, you need wood. The wood is the form that is built up into the shape of the violin, but the violin doesn't play itself for the violin to create music, you need the violinist, the active principle. And then the violin is the passive medium that creates the music. In terms of growing a plant, the seed is the active principle. The soil is the medium, which then grows the plant when the two come together. So. In metaphysical terms, spirit and matter, spirit is the active principle, and matter is the passive medium, for right. the expansion of spirit.
2: So, so are you
0: saying then that effectively, so my spirit is actually, so if I was, my spirit is a, is a violinist, so to speak, mm. and my body is a violin? Right. Is that, is that correct, to, to take that mm-hmm. analogy? So actually so I'm a spirit yeah. inside my own instrument? Yeah.
1: In terms of that analogy, it's a good one, because the entire human body has been likened to a musical instrument that is played upon by the inner spirit. And um, the Veena is, uh, is, is a beautiful Indian instrument where the, the frets are uh, constructed according to the bones of the human spine the sperm the active principle interacting with the egg
2: produces the embryo yeah? um, consciousness now through the brain results in thought Mm. The, the and, violinist and would... with a violin creates music. So th- there are always
1: these two principles in coexistence for any production, for any productive purpose. But sorry, I was interrupting you. You said you made some No, lot.
0: no, it, 'cause cause what it is when you talk about, you know, seeing the seeing the body as a musical instrument. Mm. I know I know in, in the book you mentioned some stuff from um institute of heart math and heart rate variability yes, that's
1: very um, very good
0: and we can we can get to that but i know it so you can you can you can literally change the frequency and the resonance inside your own body by your own actions right whether that's yes. rhythmical breathing or yes. the effect of emotions and it all changes your yes you know your, your, your yes. electromagnetic composition yes mm-hmm. um so it's um so fascinating um stuff on that so we're, we're moving into some some incredibly um detailed and mm-hmm. um and deep stuff mm-hmm. but there was one comment that you in the in chapter two in the in the, um, around the constitution of man mm-hmm. you talk about the the, the, the is it buddy,
2: being yes, the, buddy the, of... the,
1: the intuition principle yeah and mm-hmm.
0: so what's what's the difference between between buddy and hunches um and also would you also include imagination in this
1: Right. H- Hunches are, let's say, the dregs, the dregs of buddhi. <laughs> um, buddhi is the 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 faculty of direct knowing without the engagement of the mind, of direct perception, so you're not working things out. Now, starting with Atma, the, the divine self. Atma can't contact the physical body directly. It needs to work through an intermediary rather like transformers in an electrical power station down to the consumer unit. So Atma so to speak projects buddhi as the platform called the upadhi in Sanskrit. So Atma and buddhi are known as the monad the the eternal principle which in conjunction with the higher mind is the reincarnation not the lower quaternary
0: so people be aware of the what in common um, you know and self-help language is mind body spirit or, right. or body mind spirit right and and what you focus on is is body soul spirit
1: yes that mind is is another word mind a psyche and yeah. so uh,
2: spirit- I just want to say could you
0: take us through the just the um is, it, is parts an appropriate word to use for that are they the parts of man or the parts of the being
1: or the the, the principles of man principles yeah, sure. okay right, whatever well soul is this uncomfortable term and it's often confused with spirit and it's not spirit so whenever a higher and a lower principle come together there has to be an interface and the interface is soul so in terms of a analogy with a, a corporation or a company if we regard the chief executive as spirit and the shop floor as the workers well the chief executive doesn't direct workers he works through the management and there is management at various levels but it's in the nature of management at the higher end i don't mean higher and lower in a pejorative sense it's in the nature of management at the higher end to talk to the chief executive so that the vision of the executive can be translated into tools to work with to then direct the shop floor Mm. so in this analogy the middle management is the soul so at the highest levels of soul it touches spirit that's the spiritual soul at the lower level it's the animal soul because it informs the body which is of animal descent the intermediary is the human soul
0: mm. and and so what we've got so you've got there we've got the spirit which is all connected to universal um intelligence universal unfolding universal consciousness mm-hmm. so then that you know, the the receiving or the the agent on earth mm-hmm. to communicate and explore that consciousness mm-hmm. is the soul and that then um, ideally would instruct or or guide the body um, to do good work and to, to, you know, to create the positive intentions that, that consciousness has on, on earth. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And so, so if we've got, if, let's just take this analogy of the, of the factory and the, and the chief exec. So let's just say we've got an absent or uncontactable chief executive. Right. Um, The management is, is dysfunctional or they're Mm -hmm. away as well. Mm -hmm. Then all we've got left is, is the, the 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 people on the on our our people on the shop floor
1: yes and they wouldn't know what to do and um they would probably um indulge in fairly destructive acts
0: and i guess if we're absent if we're absent enough then they'll form their own system Mm. of of management and leadership Mm. but it's only on the level that that they're at there isn't any 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 higher wisdom Coming in about what direction should we do? So yes to to creating fantastic tools Mm. and then great products. But the question is, if that's not connected to a higher purpose or a greater intention, then either the products will be will be of little or no worth, or they'll have destructive properties because they're not being guided by by a higher intelligence.
2: Yeah, Yeah.
0: metaphorically, we've we've had of our chief executive. and I guess also just to just to make sure the listeners are aware, we are assuming that in this organization, before the chief executive and the management disappeared, mm-hmm. they were worthy of the positions that they were meant to be in. Well, um,
1: the, the chief executive here is always worthy, <laughs> but
0: um, and so that really so on your on your the um, the constitution from the from the occult, you've got the, the Atma is the defined self. Mm-hmm. And then next to that, you coming down his buddy and that's the communicating almost like a a wi-fi um connection is there cannot be a direct connection between that that level of energy and coming into a a, what's increasingly physical being
1: yes Yes. and i've shown uh, the diagram of a power power station and consumers at the end yeah and which
0: I know, is, I and, think a useful one, And whereas a lot of a lot of listeners will be will be familiar with body, mind, spirit. Mm-hmm. You, you talk about here about about something called manas, um, which is a mind principle, yes. which is uh, only got higher and lower.
1: Yes, that is an absolutely central teaching of um, the perennial philosophy of all cultures, really. And I've shown that very clearly in the chapter on the unity of the various religions of uh, chapter eight, I think. And Ian McGilchrist's wonderful uh, work, The uh, Master and His Emissary, and his latest um, two volumes, The Matter with Things, has again shown this distinction in his terms between left brain and right brain, emphasizing that we haven't got two separate brains. The brain is plastic. The distinction is not what the two hemispheres do, but how they do it and to what purpose, Mm. to what end. So Ian McGilchrist has wonderfully, as far as I'm concerned, corroborated the ancient wisdom. And and a great saying in the Theosophical Society is science is our best ally. And Ian McGilchrist has been our best ally through philosophy and psychiatry. He has shown that we can use our mind in two ways. Now, the high mind and the lower mind, Plato openly um, wrote in, in Timaeus that when the soul psyche, general term, it has a choice. It can either ally itself, becomes, become friendly with nous, the wisdom, in which case all is well or it can attach itself to a noya known as the irrational soul and create problems for itself. One of the tarot cards, and I've shown that in volume three, shows the youth flanked by two maidens on either side. And they both love him. One maiden is vice, the other maiden is virtue. And the point is, they both love him, but the youth has to choose where he's going to put his eggs, in which basket, so to speak.
2: Mm.
1: So, therefore, this mind principle is absolutely crucial. The double nature of the mind principle, not two separate minds, but we can either attach ourselves to our desires and our lower nature And we call it kama manas, kama desire, manas mind. Or we can rise to ally ourselves, not attach, become allies with buddhi. In which case we call it buddhi manas. And that which reincarnates is atma buddhi and higher manas. That is the spiritual nature, the terrestrial nature. The personality is is finished, you know. It's terrestrial. It's of the earth. It disintegrates. Mm. But the higher nature seeks new material to express its ongoing potential.
0: Yes. And so, really, that I mean, it, and I'm um, looking at this the diagram was, and and the dis- distinction. So the the buddhi principle and mm. um, and atma, but also, you know, more practically on on my side, just the whole thing about higher and lower mind
2: mm-hmm.
0: um is when i when i was watching a um a self-help video and, and the guy was saying um imagine what you like what you'd like to create or like to do mm-hmm. um and that's essentially that you know the whole thing around the secret right is positive mm-hmm. manifestation mm-hmm. Um, but then he said and it also helps if you write it down So yes. i don't know why that is but um if you write it down it tends to be more likely to come true and what that what it, what it was expressing really was was if you're really going into this is it you is let's say you meditate or you imagine a great future is you're actually connecting with your buddy you know your buddy your, your intuition but uh, the spiritual intuition and yes. then and then bringing it into your you know bringing it into your mind um or your soul and then by writing it out you start to create a physical manifestation of that of the uh, imagination mm-hmm. that you've just had is that mm-hmm. right
1: that is such good advice Jonathan uh, to express your thoughts in concretion by writing it down not by typing it into a computer i always write physically write things down first then flesh it out on the computer there is a natural relationship between the mind and the hand so writing it down is vital it focuses the mind obviously But it also earths, in terms of the electrical analogy again, it earths the current from the source to the receiver. Mm. So when you've written it down, you've earthed it. And by bringing it into physical manifestation, you can then work with it. But now talking again about intuition, um, there are so many different words. John Keats used this wonderful term negative capability. And John Keats was uh, the great Romantic poet and he was so disillusioned by the Industrial Revolution and all the grime and noise he saw. And he said, just by sitting down quietly and trusting trusting the higher power, you will be gifted with inspiration not every day of course but he called it negative capability so that's another aspect of intuition so what's what, what
0: what was a negative capability in that then
1: well what's negative is you're not starting with a seed idea you're not starting with a concept
2: right it's, well, neg- so-
1: it's negative in the sense that you've got a blank not a blank, but a a sheet of white paper with nothing scribbled on it.
0: Right. So to start with, be willing to start with nothing physical, so that yeah. that the space for uh, the, the, the idea the plenum, that the nature abhors a vacuum. Right. So if you allow yeah. if you allow space for nature or for for body intuition yeah. or that matter yeah. come in, That's
2: right. then it will. Right? That's right.
0: You know, now I was just thinking, just about you know what you were saying about the industrial revolution and and how he was so affected by it. Mm. Um, I know if you actually, and one of the things when you look at the separation that's happened, and there's other authors in Shepherd, Walwyn that have tackled this, of just this this mm. isolating effect yeah. of of what so called what we what we describe as progress, which for Mm. in many ways is an obscenity isn't it really to describe that as progress because well. it's it's again it's it's mechanical or physical progress but actually in terms of a relational connection to something bigger than ourselves as if we were living in a you know in a village and working on the land i just i don't believe that anyone who truly understands gardening and gardens mm. is that they can't they can't deny the existence of of a higher intelligence because the miracle of just a small, even a blade of grass, the way that that grows um, oh, absolutely and, and, and true creates, yes. right? Yes.
1: Um,
0: and it's just that separation. What happened with the Industrial Revolution was that, was that people lost connection to that, to the majesty of nature, right? Because, and again, physically, you didn't get to see anything other than the stars and they were clouded by the fog and by the, you know, the nasty smoke coming out of the factories. Yes,
1: because of the explosion in mechanical knowledge, the next step was to say nature and we are machines mm. are just to be mechanized
0: yes and it See, and I the idea that. that that's that it's as simple as that i mean it's um it's just um it's just and, ridiculous. And as schrodinger
1: said we we do not belong to the world that science constructs for us science puts things in a very orderly classified manner but that is the model that's the map and it's very necessary but we confuse the map with the territory
0: so so eddie what i'll do is i'll i'll, I'll put the um, i'll put this diagram on the screen so people can see it um sure. but going going down you also have so going down below lower mind you have
1: um I, i've got the same diagram i think uh, uh jonathan yeah, if i don't have it then do put it up but sorry going down yeah, yeah.
0: So just, I was wondering if you could explain that, um, is it Kama?
1: Kama, Kama desire. Um,
0: yeah. and, and Prana and, um, I just yeah. wanted, so the desire principle, um, and yeah. that's been, so are we not supposed to have desires to
1: evolve? Desires are wonderful. And I have a wonderful quotation uh, to counter this idea that all desires are evil, far from it desire at its higher level is the power of expressing love desire is central but what are you doing with your desires and there's nothing wrong with personal desires you know if your personal desires of your personal well-being and your relationship it's very important It's desires that run away with themselves and become the end-all and be-all at the expense of others. So I was reading, only last week, um, a very fine article on um, MBS, um, Mohammed bin Salman, And I was thinking to myself, my goodness, the contrast between the Saudi monarchy and our monarchy now if you read his desires to create the dream city 500 billion uh, would be the cost the ruthless way in which he gets rid of the opposition this is desire for power Mm. it's quite different from desires turned towards a philanthropic purpose
0: and well, no, I guess that's really you are going back to the, to the you know to the spirit. If the if the desire is is at least influenced or shaped mm. by the spirit into the soul and the higher exactly. mind, and yeah. that then is yeah. where you where you get the positive desires, isn't it? And it yeah. it helps yeah. you, genuinely helps you and others.
1: Mm. It's, it desire as self indulgence, self aggrandizement, at the expense of others, which is so prevalent nowadays, which is the to guard against the story of the two wolves, you know, uh, asking grandfather, grandson ask grandfather, I've got two wolves in me, which one do I feed? Well, the one you feed is the one who grows in you. So if uh, you have uh, self indulgent um, ideas and you want just to satisfy your own desires, you're feeding that wolf, that will grow in you. Mm. So if you're feeding the other wolf, the philanthropic and the higher mind, that's what will grow in you. Mm. So what you place your mind on
2: will grow.
0: Well, do you know, and if we're all if we're all parts of one whole, mm. then then I'm an expression of of the whole in a certain. Mm. I'm a certain mix of the whole.
2: Oh, mm.
0: So I'm i I've got I've got a purpose, um, and so in that sense, if I act out that purpose. And it can't not benefit other people right and i guess maybe that's the thing is yes it benefits me Mm -hmm. but also it has to benefit others otherwise it can't be my purpose because why would i want to destroy myself other than if i was mentally ill right
1: absolutely so if you're in a traffic jam and you act um and you drive in a courteous and gracious way the whole system will improve And you will improve with it Mm. but if you drive aggressively you might get ahead for two or three minutes but then the whole system will snarl up so what benefits your purpose will undoubtedly benefit humanity Uh, and all the great composers have proven that and all the great artists and poets and religious teachers of course
0: Mm. do you have anything to say about about prana
1: Prana, yes, the Life Principle, which is otherwise known as Fu in Japan, and Qi, um, in the Chinese Tai Chi. Prana is what circulates around the etheric body, which is the model body, which is the template of the physical body,
2: Mm.
1: and it's the vital principle which, if only medical science were more attuned to that idea, there wouldn't be talking of vaccinations and other toxins, if I may put it that way, that degrade our vital principle, even though temporarily they may give you physical immunity. The, the word prana is also uh, strongly... Uh, associated with the breath so one enhances the vitality by breathing practices by eating the right food obviously fresh and organic and minimizing um any situation that depletes your energies
2: Very mm. fantastic
1: but uh, pranic healing which is well-known, which is energetic healing, is the infusion of the healer's own vitality into the, into the client, into the patient, mm. if it's depleted. And one of the nefarious ways of attacking someone psychically is to, so to speak, tear holes in the etheric body so it leaks prana, So if the the vital body is fragmented, the circulation of prana is inhibited. And you find that story graphically told in one of Dion Fortune's books, Psychic Self-Protection. Now, what does that fragmentation? One of the things I find most uh, difficult to cope with is constant repetition. And that's a very well-known way of breaking someone down.
2: Can you give an yes. example of that?
1: Well, yeah, actually, the the live example in you know Dion Fortune, uh, the the great writer, other name is Violet Johnson, and she was a leading um, light in the Western occult tradition. Um, she was attacked by the warden by the head of the agricultural college where she was working looking after the poultry section and the way that attack was conducted was the warden only repeated two phrases these two phrases you are weak and you know it you have no self-confidence and you have got to admit it and she repeated that hundreds and hundreds of times now you would say come on if someone's repeating it you say you silly idiot and just leave but no the whole point is uh, by using the eyes in a certain way one captures the individual in the same way as a snake will ensnare a bird and by capturing that person and repeating something over and over again, you break down the vital body, the etheric body, which by virtue then of leaking prana hmm. will result in a total nervous collapse.
0: And, and I guess if we do it to ourselves, if we have, a, if we have negative tracks winning in our minds, then that's we well, do works. the same thing. Yes, anyway. it,
1: it does. It, it weakens the, the vital body which inhibits the circulation of the vital energy. Very, very good example. It can be done unconsciously, but when done with real knowledge, it's doubly dangerous.
0: Mm. And I guess that's also the incessant nature of of propaganda in authoritarian society. Very
1: good example. It's a very good example. It's propaganda, and the obverse of that is positive self-affirmation
0: yes yeah and i know something else as well is i was reading about um about what um what you know violently communist or violent communist states used to mm. do and mm. they used to make people say things and repeat things that they knew to be false yeah and they knew to be nonsense and that had an even worse effect than it yes. would wouldn't it if it was if it was yes. if it was yeah. known to be untrue and you had to repeat it and that yeah. again just just takes away it your life break it all. down even more amazing
1: And that's happening, uh, we're told, uh, to the poor Ouija Muslims in in China.
0: Right. Well, you know, and just uh, so moving on to the wonderful um, quote from Paul Brunton, um, which reiterates that Mm -hmm. man is a miniature copy of the Mm. universe. I just wonder if you can explain in layman's terms what that means.
1: Yes, well, it goes on to say all the forces and powers that have made the universe have made you. Well, we're not talking of Big Bang Cosmology here. We're talking of the the various hidden and non-material influences and powers known as elementals, known as gods, gods with an S, the various powers in nature. So the cosmic elements, so-called, are the non material equivalent of the physical elements. So the, the the purest element is Akasha, of course, which is the storehouse of all our thoughts and deeds. But that being the, the highest element, all the other elements
2: are subsets or aspects of Akasha. So how is a plant, how does a plant
1: get, um, how is it produced? What happens to the seed? It needs sunlight, it needs water. It's the same with the human being. It needs the equivalent of sunlight and water.
2: Mm. Uh, Now, one of the things
0: that we've used, we see the term ego Um, right used in the eternal wisdom and it means something quite different than it does in general understandings um i just wonder if you could define uh, the word ego through esoteric understanding
1: this is an unfortunate use of the english language yeah you find that fine distinction in sanskrit it's no problem ego with a small e is the personal desire nature the lower mind and lower desires which blocks literally blocks the light from the higher self now ego with a capital e means the association of the mind principle with whatever we're talking about so the human we call it ego to distinguish from ego the human ego is the association of the mind principle so there is the distinction between saying I am, and I am Jonathan, or I am anything else. And I know that I am Jonathan. That's when the mind principle comes in. It's not just an abstract, I know I I am. I know that I am.
0: You explain man functioning through three souls. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. and you explain the second one as a human soul, has right. divine essence, aka yeah. actual location of God within. Um and if left soul survives into immortality. Could you explain that?
1: The the human soul is the higher mind, the higher manners.
0: Ah, right. So, yeah. Okay, yeah. brilliant. Okay. Um, and then you, you talk as well about the about the bridge.
1: That Is vital, and I've got a a nice diagram to explain that. But um, before that, let me say that some people object to the use of the word man. Now, man does not mean male as opposed to female. The word man etymologically comes from men, the thinker in Sanskrit, manas, to think, to cogitate. So, man is the philosophical term for the thinker be it or be man male or female mm. there's nothing to do with gender so the the bridge that's vital called the antakarana, and it means literally the interior instrument and it is the the vehicle of consciousness whereby all the spiritual thoughts all the altruistic thoughts and desires of a person are, so to speak, transmuted to the higher nature. The best way to look at it is an umbilical cord, an umbilical cord between the parent and the child. The parent, the higher nature, the higher self, the child, its personality. In um, astronaut terms, it's the umbilical connection between the mothership and the astronaut walking in space. But the umbilical cord feeds nutrients. And oxygen and all that. And if that cord is severed. Well, good luck to you. But there are people by virtue of the extreme evil and brutality, have severed that connection. And there, then you have the phenomenon known as soulless men, S, S-O-U-L-L-E-S-S, soulless men, described by Robert Louis Stevenson allegorically in uh, the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. In rare circumstances, uh, when one is fully enlightened, you don't need a bridge anymore because you are always operating from the higher self. But if you prematurely chop the bridge, uh, then uh, you can expect a lot of trouble
0: and what What can we do to strengthen our connection or yes. to, you know to improve our bridge
2: then well literally uh, prayer, meditation.
1: Um, brutal self-examination understanding one's motives really understanding what you have done to others and therefore trying to make amends charity work anything that h- enhances the higher spiritual nature mm. um, you just think of an electrical wire and the currents flowing down the wire to whatever so i've called it man's spiritual life support the umbilical connection okay so the sanskrit word is anta karana the internal instrument interior sense organ and it's that medium of connection between the higher self the individuality as parent with the lower self the personality its child and its function is as i said to act as a bridge an umbilical connection now importantly at death it acts as the conveyor of all thoughts of a spiritual nature during the personal life that can be absorbed into the higher self and Spiritual aspirations are observed, nothing of the personal life. So you can't take your private yacht and your jets with you or your palace and your mansions and all of that. That will come to an end. It's only your spiritual and higher aspirations. So billionaires, please note. Now. For the average man, the average person, let's look at the connection between the higher self and the child as this electrical conduit. Lots of wires twisted together.
2: Now, what
1: happens if you sever one of the wires? The same current from the higher self to the child personality, The same current has got to be conveyed by fewer wires. So the wires are going to heat up. So if you then carry on living in a cruel and evil way, you will thin this connection. And if you carry on like that, you will sever that connection ultimately. Conversely, by living the good life, the holy life, the altruistic life, The philanthropic life sorry and this is the Jekyll and Hyde soulless men a human monster and a scourge conversely we can strengthen the connection so instead of the current flowing down through fewer wires and heating up the wire and then finally breaking the connection we can add more wires so to speak and there we have the sage, the seer and the genius in any field. Now, conventional psychiatry in psychology really, I would say, knows nothing about the real mechanisms of soulless men and human monsters. There are enough examples in the world, but how this happens is little known. And it is only occult science that provides the missing link. Of understanding
0: so so on on death the the jekyll and hyde the person that's made the successively um by evil or right. negative choices right their soul still the spirit returns but um
1: right with in that situation there is an almost immediate reincarnation because there is no after death state in which to reap the reward of good deeds and good thoughts on earth, so when that connection is severed, there is an almost immediate incarnation again as a human monster, and uh, progressively carrying on that line till there is complete destruction wow
0: and and I guess that so by by strengthening the our relationship between mm-hmm. the the i say the higher self and the and the lower self yes we get access to more i guess there's more buddy
1: yes and, precisely and, so
0: and yes and so precisely. There's...
1: yeah exactly
0: great and i guess that could be why other certain people are, can become so productive is to have an incredible connection to to the universal intelligence
1: exactly to there yes right fantastic right. you were talking about the ego earlier, so this diagram should help. We are, of course, one human territory, but there are many ways in which we can look at ourselves, many, as I say, anatomical maps. So, as one unified being, we can look at ourselves, and indeed we are, the higher self, the individuality, which is incorruptible, or and the personality, the the lower self, which is corruptible. Why don't I get a laser pointer? Much better, right. And as I said earlier, this interface between the higher and the lower results in this interface is the soul in generic terms. And we can unpack this soul nature in this way the higher self comprising the the divine self and its vehicles of expression buddhi and manas and manas the mind principle as we said can act in two ways it can associate with buddhi or it can attach itself to kama, the desire body so we have the divided in mind in uh, Ian McGilchrist's terms and also in terms of the perennial philosophy. So we can rise in our minds to associate with the god Bacchus, Nus, or we can attach ourselves to the giant titans and display the qualities of the irrational soul. So it's our choice, whether to be the Minotaur of uh, Cretan mythology, or to be one with the stars. Mm. And so we display a spectrum of consciousness, which I need hardly explain, from ineffable transcendence to absolutely unspeakable brutality. Now, just thinking of the Cretan um, story of Theseus entering the the labyrinth to slay the Minotaur, he was given a ball of string as a clue. Now, the ancient word for string was clue, C-L-E-W, which is interesting. One end of the string was held by... Princess Ariadne, who fell in love with the youth. And then as he unwound the string into the labyrinth and killed the minotaur, he was able to find his way out. Now, what is the symbology behind this beautiful story? Of course, the minotaur, the head of a bull and on a body of a man, shows the ungoverned passions and brutality of the brutal man. Princess Ariadne holding the ball of string, the end of the string, symbolizes a spiritual soul, which then unravels the string, the higher mind, so that it is always in contact with the youth Theseus. And there's always that connection between the personality, the mind and the spiritual soul. But if Ariadne let go of the string, then poor Theseus wouldn't find his way out of the labyrinth. And what is the labyrinth in this? It is our earth life with all its twists and turns, where we have to develop the capacity to recognize and associate with our higher self using our mind. What's the ego? It's this excessive attachment and connection between the lower mind and the desires that blocks the light coming through. So this is one of uh, Robert Browning's beautiful poems, Three souls which make up one soul. What does, what knows, what is. I emphasize in the volumes periodically that the great artists and poets knew far more about the human being even though they knew very little about the human body now what i mean is the scientists and the medical doctors know a great deal about the human body and of course they need to but the human being who functions through that body many of them seem to know nothing about, because you can't understand a human being by looking at a dead body or just the body. You understand the human being by interacting with it. And this is what the great artists and poets and, um, and uh, great religious people and philosophers have done. They've displayed and understood the human being as indeed did Mozart in his operas. He knew all about the behavior of men and women, even though I doubt if he knew anything about how to dissect the brain. So three souls, how do we make a house? This is an example of as above, so below. We make a house, we create the foundation and then the roof structure, and then that's not enough. We need to have internal stories, internal foundations. The lowest level is the animal soul, then the human soul, and then the spiritual soul, the three souls that Robert Browning talked about. And in a more sophisticated taxonomy, they can be correlated to the septenary constitution like this. How do we function the difference between our nature and our constitution, as we spoke earlier, again, Browning's quotation, the power station and the domestic consumers, the uh, domestic houses. But we need transformers to step down the power, in popular terms, the current and voltage, from the high level at the power station to what a domestic house would use because otherwise it would blow all your light bulbs. So you need three transformers. The physical body is the domestic house, Atma, the Divine Self, is your power station, and your three souls are your three transformer stations in this example.
0: Do you talk about what exactly happens in sleep?
1: Oh, well, yes, in a sense that I've used the analogy with sleep. Death is sleep and um, how that correlates. But in chapter five, I describe the the actual death transition process in considerable detail. So, so,
0: what then happens so people a lot it's one of the things so fear of death right. i think has, has dominated our and yes. fear of ill health
1: fear of death has indeed dominated our culture hasn't
0: it for the last three right. years and 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 as we're yeah. as we're filming this um we've just had the the passing of 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 yes. our queen in um our queen. Hmm. in britain um so what does it what do the spiritual and the perennial philosophy what does it say about what death actually is
1: yeah. And and what happens
0: mm. after death?
1: Three transitions and four stages. Right? The first transition is from physical consciousness to astral consciousness. That's the next state of consciousness adjacent to the physical. The second stage is consciousness and existence in the lower post-mortem astral. Psychic planes. The third stage is consciousness and existence in the higher post mortem spiritual planes. And the fourth stage is rebirth in a new physical body. So here is the, the complete human being, man, during earthly life. His physical body built around the etheric double as template and prana, the life principle. I've kept it all in English, not in Sanskrit, of course, and the desire principle. And here, the mind principle acting always as either high or lower mind, and then intuition and the divine self. Now,
2: at death or after death, we lose all of this. We lose the
1: physical body, etheric double, and life principle. Now, the desire principle and the lower mind form what is known as the karma rupa, the body, the psychic body of thought and desire. So whereas in physical life on earth, the divine self inhabited all of these bodies, the physical body and the subtle bodies, these are subtle bodies, if you like. After death,
2: the Divine Self is divested of the physical coil and inhabits the karmarupa, rupa the desire nature. And then, just as physical
1: death results in this, there is a second death that occurs which is so important where the psychic vestures are then sloughed off. So dying and just after dying is the loss of the lower triad, one, two, three. The post-mortem existence in what is known as Karmaloka or Hades, a life review and sleep. Karmaloka or Hades or Amenti, all of these terms, and purgatory, purgatory in Christianity, are all terms referring to a state of consciousness after death, where one is given the chance to review our thoughts and actions during life. And rather like a detention room or punishment room at school, we are given the opportunity to progress higher, as indeed we do. So the second death is known as the butterfly emerging from the chrysalis. The butterfly emerging is that, and the chrysalis is that. So, what, so you're,
0: what you're pointing to is the divine self and the, and the intuition principle, which is the buddhi, that's, that's what, that's what yes. travels on.
1: Yes, exactly so. So after the psychic vestures are discarded, then we live as our, as our true immortal self in what is known as Devachan, loosely called heaven in Christianity. But Devachan means the, the plane of the gods, the land of the gods, where all our unfulfilled aspirations and thoughts are worked out in the mind, so to speak. All our unrequited love, all our impersonal desires are worked out to gain faculty in the next life. So Devachan can be likened to a workshop where all the rough diamonds that were mined during life are given the chance to be polished into fine jewels and the polishing means converting aspiration into intention and faculty. What draws us back into incarnation is again desire known as Tanha and Trishna. Tanha is the desire for material existence and Trishna is not only desire for material existence, but desire for being surrounded by what we are familiar with, what we like to associate with. So in this stage, we are born again in devachan, this realm, a second life review, an awakening before subsequent incarnation on earth. The Christ told Nicodemus, how can a man attain, I'm rephrasing of course, the kingdom of heaven, unless he be born twice the first birth of course is your physical birth your second birth is your birth into the higher realms there are other interpretations of that of course
0: so i know eddie you said um just uh, when we're talking about strengthening the um the bridge is you yeah. talked about having a, something like a i think the words were a searing or a a, a brutally frank life review or a review of your actions and your intentions that it's, sounds like yeah. an earth version of
2: it, well this said.
0: process yeah.
1: exactly that That's is right. e- extremely well said yes perfect the more one does this in life the fewer problems one makes for oneself after death that is exactly correct and this is the whole point of one of the meditation exercises which i like to follow which is reviewing my day well in bed but you review it backwards not forwards backwards in time completely non-judgmentally just reviewing it and seeing what could have been better what you did well and so on just to complete the diagram you have the physical life the first transition from physical to kamaloka to the psychic life, psychic planes. The second transition from the astral to the spiritual life. Bearing in mind, there is always one stream of consciousness in phase states of itself, like H2O, like ice, water and steam.
0: So, so really, so I, I was thinking when you first introduced it, if you could just go back to the diagram. You, you talked about the to um, so the lower mind um, mm. and the desire principle coming with you, mm. so to speak. And I had in my head um, the image of the of the movie in Scrooge where he's is carrying chains, but I yes. think actually it, a, a better example may be that that you're weighed down with unexpressed and unprocessed learning. So it's almost as if you're carrying a filing cabinet. Of potential learning and awareness yes. of, of life on Earth that yes. you haven't processed, and so it's not that you're being punished. It's just that there's work that you need to do in order to to come back again because you didn't do it on Earth.
1: Exactly. So yes, the the more psychological baggage you carry with you, the more you've got to process. And the whole phenomenon of apparitions is a is a huge subject, but. A major source of apparitions is the Kama Rupa, full of unspent, unspent desires and passions, which is attracted to this terrestrial sphere, attracted to situations and people with which it can associate itself.
0: So, so what you're saying is so someone someone's died
2: mm.
0: and their Kama Rupa actually manifests as a as a an apparition or as a ghost what Mm -hmm. is that right
1: yes indeed and the stronger uh, uh, the the unfulfilled passions, the more the chance of that manifestation and uh, that manifestation is artificially um exacerbated by by mediums but the other um case of the the karma rupa is not um people with uh, brutal strong and uh, unfulfilled passions but young people who've been cut off in mid-flight in mid-flight meaning um, in full life mm. like uh, during world war ii uh, there is the, the book called in times of war wisdom from soldiers who died and you can understand that a young a young man who's been sent so d-day and loses his life in full life loses his life you can understand that the kamarupa is going to be charged with his love for his mother his father his family his friends his home and therefore there will be a manifestation of that kamarupa invariably In the family bedroom Hmm. and that's been shown so that kind of karma rupa can be startling to behold but it's perfectly benign yes
0: and i guess there you've got a stronger life principle that's that's still left in the being right
1: exactly so there are unspent energies and unspent life principle that's not had time for the life review and the disintegration to occur
0: so you talk there about about the life review and and that's when people when people have a near death experience of when yeah. they can literally or physically die but then and then come back they're resuscitated or something like that, mm-hmm. and they often say, um, "My life flashed before
1: my eyes that is almost a universal statement you've uh, you've given us they all talk of uh, going through this tunnel, so to speak, and then they are given a choice whether to carry on that journey or to return to the physical body. And yes, they say, my life flashed before my eyes, and very often the reason for returning is some urgent task left unfulfilled.
2: Hmm.
0: But it is, a, it is a, an impromptu life review that they're going through. They're brought into this process.
1: Most certainly.
0: Yes,
1: Amazing. most certainly it is, yeah. Incredible. But what you said earlier is of crucial importance to review your life and your day here now. Don't wait for the end.
0: <laughs> and what's the what's spiritual or the, the, the benefit of going backwards? You said you go through your day backwards.
1: Right, that is just reversing time, Um, because time does funny things. If you go through your day in the order in which events happened, one's more likely to overlay it with one's own imagination. But if you go through your day backwards, each event tends to stand in isolation and you see it more for what it is, rather than thinking about the next thing that happened. So you're not focusing on what happened.
0: And I guess as well, it's I guess it's almost as if you be more true for a life review, but for a day review,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know how it turned out. So one we could have been been riddled with anxiety about an important meeting, or yeah. let's just say, I'm preparing for our second interview and i'm nervous yeah. and i'm thinking oh mm-hmm. my goodness well i yeah. understand mm-hmm. but then it, if i at the end of the day i can look back and knowing that it went it went well mm-hmm. i can then work on based on that context and that mm-hmm. lens mm-hmm. i can then see what was pertinent about yes. the day
1: and what was pertinent and what was significant about the day mm. certainly our conversation today is the most significant <laughs> about today i can say that quite uh Unambiguously you
0: said it was it was kind of Devachan was kind of heaven, but not quite
1: well, heaven, in the Christian sense, is a place of eternal bliss. it's not eternal it's um, it's temporary, but from our standpoint can very, very considerably longer than life on earth. Time has a very, very different connotation, as in dreams, um what can seem years in a dream is really a, a twinkling of a physical eye
0: mm yeah and i guess and if something comes from a higher um from a higher place into the lower mm-hmm. physical yes then the actual the, the physical part of it doesn't work the way that it would normally work on physical and i know people when they share stories of of psychedelic experiences which i know mm-hmm. you're not um such a fan of but mm-hmm. there can be an, a tremendous physical aspect to that which yes. other people can't see our experience so that the this energy coming through, and I guess again, yes. why you say to be very careful with those kind of things. Yes, is the energy coming yeah. coming yeah. through consciousness right. into you can it yeah. can do very you know, it can do a lot of harm to the physical body because it's it hasn't got the transformers to protect
1: you, has it? It hasn't got the transformers, it hasn't got the safeguards, and it hasn't got the safety valves. <laughs> yes. Yeah and the electrical protection circuits yes that's very well put yes
0: and, and then you were saying that not and so for people that have lived a um or for want of a better word an evil life or and mm-hmm. they often they don't they don't do they go through any of this process or do they go straight back to
1: well if the evil is 100 percent, then no but if there's even a, a wisp of uh, spirituality then the time in the after death states is entirely proportional to the uh, degree to which you have energized your spiritual life or not amazing so
0: so within all these things then i know mm-hmm. there was you make a distinction in the in the book and, and I, I do hope that the that viewers are seeing that there is so much in your books eddie it's just outrageous and and ans- you're answering questions that that i've had for for a long time and like mm-hmm. i say in self-help we know that writing stuff down makes a difference and you yes. explained exactly using the the perennial philosophy mm-hmm. exactly how that works mm-hmm. but you make a difference you talk about immortality mm-hmm. infinity and eternity yes um i just wondered in- if you could explain to us the difference yes I- immortality
1: those is still in the realm of time uh, eternity is outside time So death and immortality are the two opposite poles of um, the ending of, or the, the reduction of time to its minimal and immortality, the expansion of time to its maximum. But eternity is outside time. And Isaac Newton deals with this in the most sublime and Incredible way in his uh, principia in the general Sholium. equally endurance and endure are not exactly the same thing. he refers to the divine being he not as endurance but he endures it's it's amazing reading, which I thoroughly recommend
0: and that's isaac Newton's um principle
1: exactly yes masics. absolutely which uh, everyone's heard of and i i would say very few people have bothered to read and understand in its esoteric and religious import
0: and that's one of the books that you had in your house wasn't it when we went on your table is oh, i recall
1: definitely yes i've got a couple of uh editions yeah
0: wow one of the chapters eddie in your mm-hmm. book is number seven is the brain a wet computer are mm. humans lumbering <laughs> robots Mm -hmm. Um, And you just even controversially, you say the closing of the scientific mind. I just wonder if you could answer that question that you phrase. Is is the brain basically a computer and are we essentially robots?
1: No, (laughs) but the brain displays aspects of a computer. We can behave like lumbering robots, (laughs) but that doesn't mean we are lumbering robots so
0: what's so, your what's been your research and experience in this in this field, and how can we take the the listeners and the viewers through it?
1: Right. Well, firstly, let's understand what a computer is, and I've put out, uh, some definitions from various technical journals and description uh, and um, uh, and academic books and dictionaries where the central point that comes across is a computer is a machine that needs a programmer so however you look at a computer it needs a programmer so that's the first point but the reason why this idea is gaining traction is because of the tremendous advances in computing power and technology There is this mistaken notion that mind is to brain as software is to hardware. So that's their sort of master analogy. Mind is to brain as software is to hardware. And the way they demolish any notion of subjectivity is firstly to argue that man is just a computer and nothing more by ignoring everything that distinguishes a man from a computer, and then eliminating all feelings and subjective states, or rather reducing all subjectivity to the physical. And then if it can't be measured, of course it doesn't exist. So the sort of three-pronged attack or approach is roboticism, Functionalism and brain states. This is what they argue. And they, meaning top level professors and neuroscientists and computationalists, like Ray Kurzweil, who uh, invented voice recognition, Daniel Dennett, of course, who uh, would not have anything to do with subjective states and consciousness. So, this is their argument.
0: You know, Eddie, one of the things I'm just noticing now is mm. how in our language,
2: mm.
0: objective yes. is seen as being vastly superior to subjective. And well, we're said. educated to avoid subjective at all times. And in yes. science, if you unless you can state something as an objective fact, mm. then you're not allowed to talk about it. And if you do, then you're obviously not a scientist and so we should ignore you
1: that is incredibly well put jonathan yes Um, earlier we're talking of the the distinction between primary qualities and secondary qualities primary qualities that objective can be measured weighed the sea touch feeling realism and subjective you know relegated to uh, the realm of opinion and feeling and our entire education is to puts objectivity on a superior level
0: amazing and, it, and so it, it's essentially oh. what you're saying it's essentially it is actually a brainwashing isn't it and we're, we're trying to yeah. and it's like we're, yes. we're moving away from that that which makes us most human yes and and of our universal our most spiritual as well which is mm. the the experiential oh. or the subjective experience that's right. um that's reflected upon obviously mm. um goodness and to focus and on it, the various things
1: you can see the difference between objective and subjective or objective and phenomena uh, very simply by realizing you can put a computer in a box but you can't put a rainbow in a box because a rainbow is not objective it's a phenomena it's a phenomena created by the laws of refraction of light and our own eyes and brains and minds so you can't put a rainbow in a box,
0: but and a rainbow mm-hmm. is a is a, it's a relationship, isn't it? It's yeah. a relationship between different things exactly. in, a, in an environment. It's a
1: phenomenon, so rainbow. it's a, it's a it's subjective in that sense. If you go up in a whatever balloon, uh, hot air balloon, well, you, you wouldn't have a rainbow then with hot air. But anyway, you can't touch a rainbow. You can only touch water droplets. It's a phenomenon. Mm. So we have overemphasized the objective in Ian McGilchrist's terms, we have overemphasized the left brain. As opposed to the right brain, which is far more holistic in its purview. So the next slide is we implement this strategy in this way.
0: So this is the roboticism, functionalism and then um... brain states and how the brain states, okay. they cause emotions.
1: That's right.
0: Rather than the other yeah. way around.
1: Yeah. But to say that um, if you don't have your physical senses, you can't experience anything is completely shot to pieces. Uh, that's uh, the good news in inverted commas by uh, top Google scientist.
0: So what you're saying is, so sorry, just go back there, because just if, if someone is still listening, um, yeah. and I would, if you are listening, please get onto onto YouTube and look at the diagrams. Um, right. But you're saying in 2029, according to Ray Kurzweil, yes, um, computers right. will outsmart us and the behaviour of computers will be indistinguishable from that of humans, mm-hmm. which is the, the Turing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's more than the Turing test, actually, isn't it? Because that's actually if a human would be tricked to believe that a computer was, was human. Yeah,
1: exactly so. Um,
0: so it's not the same. But 2045, machine intelligence will dominate human intelligence to mm. such an extent that humans will no longer be capable of understanding machines. Mm. Right. So what you're saying there is it's gone, the machine transcends mm. the programmer.
1: That's right. right. The, the machine literally transcends the programmer. And this great lady, Helen Keller, completely without um, hearing or eyesight, was able to describe Beethoven's choral symphony by touching the loudspeaker off, uh, um, you know, off a gramophone. And the Helen Keller
0: was also deaf, right, as well as as well as She's blind. Yeah, complete,
1: you're know, you completely yes. deaf and blind, showing that there are senses, there are subtle senses within the human being that uh, science has just bothered not to investigate. Mm
2: yes
0: So let me just see if i've got any more questions on so we're talking really about so the idea that um that artificial intelligence as well mm. is becoming sentient and it's it's becoming a threat to humanity
1: mm. well is it sentient because everything starts with the programmer and there uh, are all sorts of things that um this computationalist uh, analogy can't possibly explain
0: and so, what you're really saying then is, is, so, so in terms of in popular culture, the Terminator, where the machines mm. take over,
2: mm.
0: or in so many other sci-fi movies, where the machine, to protect the human, mm. um, they they take over because the human can't be trusted. Mm. Um, what you're actually saying is not we don't have to worry about artificial intelligence in itself. But we do, I think, need to be worried about the people controlling and pro- yeah. having the artificial intelligence programmed. Exactly.
1: Exactly what so. they
0: might have in mind.
1: Exactly. Right? So exactly. But I don't so. know if
0: you if you know any that the Luddites. Do you remember the Luddites? Well, yeah. Have You heard of yeah. them? So so the, the story is is that the Luddites would they protested the introduction of of, of using machines mm. for industrial purposes. Mm-hmm. And, and when you actually look at what they read and said. They mm. had no problem with introducing the machines. Mm. What they had a problem with was who owned the machines. Who, yes, and, who, and owned, who owned, it. owned the output that they who, produced when they had the machine, mm. and that's what the fight was over. But in the history got rewritten to say that it was the Luddites were against progress. When actually mm. they were what they were against was was you know not necessarily benevolent people controlling machines, yeah. which would then what kind of lives, progress. right? i guess is a is a model for ai isn't it is that people could use ai to damage our lives Mm -hmm. but it's not the ai that's doing it it's the people controlling the ai
1: it's never the ai it's never the technology it's the people behind it you're absolutely right and the other crucial difference between computer thinking so ai and human thinking is human thinking is necessarily metaphorical I mean, this was argued very um, brilliantly by one of the um, American uh, professors of philosophy that computers don't think metaphorically. He showed how metaphorical ideas affect how we act and how metaphorical thought and understanding of situation arises independently of language. computers uh, have electrical
2: circuitry they don't have metaphoric circuitry mm. Mm. yeah interesting there anything more you'd like to say about about computers oh only
1: in that um, the the threat is very real and In many ways, they are degrading our ability to think deeply and logically because when everything is done by a computer, the human element of judgment and perception is downgraded because you think the computer did it, it must be right. Of course, it may not be right at all. So it, my, my uh, disquiet is only the increasing mechanization of our lives. There was a, a recent uh, letter to The Times that from a lady saying, at one time when I wanted to go on a train, I looked at one timetable. Now there are eight apps. Now, I do you need eight apps to find a train timetable? <laughs> mm also and i i must confess of course i use my sat nav but i try my best for a journey that's not too complicated to use a map because that way you maintain your mental skills if you rely on a sat nav you you can be in zombie mode and if Mm. your sat nav fails
2: you're lost Yes, that is so, it, it. Yeah, just
1: minimize the use of computers. That, that's all I would say necessary and minimize, but now it's well, maximize.
0: Well you also talk in, in this chapter, um, yeah. Eddie is the closing of the scientific mind, the yeah. inviolability of materialistic oh, yeah. theories. Um, and I know, I'm guessing, if, if the neo Darwinist and materialist scientists actually um, lowered themselves to listen mm-hmm. to what we're what we're talking about, mm-hmm. um, and given the vitriol that they spewed on on people like Rupert, Rupert Sheldrake, Drake, Thomas yeah. Nagel, Aben Alexander, um, what have you got to? What would you to say to prepare? You know to be ready for that attack.
1: Yes, I would say very clearly that the very fact that you attack shows the weakness of your argument. That you can state whatever you like in forceful and clear terms nothing and passionate terms nothing wrong with that but the desire to attack shows a fundamental weakness it shows your fear and it shows that deep down you really believe what you're attacking but because what you're attacking destroys your own ego and your own um, position in the university or whatever, you feel the need to destroy it. The mm. more you attack, the weaker your position.
0: Well and also as well the, the less scientific yep. by definition, sure. right? Because yeah. if you were actually being a scientist, the mm. first, what you'd try to find out would be curious about the ideas and and see if there are any ideas that can add to mm. yours and an improve on
1: yours. David Deutsch, a leading quantum physicist at Oxford, um, commenting or or attacking uh, Brian Josephson, Nobel laureate, uh, his ideas on telepathy, which he just put forward as a hypothesis. Uh, Telepathy is utter rubbish. Well, anyone can say that. You can get a parrot to say it. There's nothing scientific about that. But he never says why it's rubbish. It's just a crude attack. And as, as far as the attack on religion goes, my gosh.
0: <laughs> yes. So is there anything more you want to say about about computers or, or why we're not? Um, humans are not basically flawed computers.
2: Because computers were made by man, not the other way around. Yes.
0: So Eddie, just um, just the final one of the the most extraordinary chapters in the book. Mm. If I can finish on
2: mm.
0: on this. Um, so you you go through all the the ancient teachings and mm. um, and then you also in in I think chapter eight eight you mm. actually talk about the harmony harmony within yes, different yes. world teachings. Yeah. I just that's... wondered if you could give us a a brief summary of your yes. of the extraordinary um, connections you make in that chapter because that mm. was the one that um i actually i actually enjoyed that the most when i was reading it the first time because mm. i actually could link it to all the other things that i'd read and mm. um and listen to really just you go through all the eastern doctrines um western plato mm. um egypt um the um and then also you, you go all the way on to
1: um the modern ones it's very important to consider yes. the modern Ken Wilbur
0: yes. and Ken Wilbur and Gurdjieff who's the early 20th yep. century that's right um and just uh just the most extraordinary um Anorabindo as well which um that's
2: right hmm.
0: which was um which was just extraordinary do you happen to have that diagram mean, it might be too much to share um
1: um yes but not here okay but, but you've got a, another meeting, haven't you?
0: I have. I need. I do need to finish, unfortunately. Um, yeah. So that I guess would be an enticement for people to um, sure to, to get a hold of the book. Is there anything that you'd, that you'd like? Just to, if you want to stop sharing the screen, then we can just have right.
1: a uh, yeah. Let me just say that the diagram you're referring to, I was inspired by Leibniz, who is another one of my great uh, inspirers, where he said. Most philosophical schools um, diminish themselves by adopting the sectarian spirit. So there is far more that unites different philosophies and far less that divides them, but they keep harping on on what divides them. And so he recommended Leibniz a framework of harmony, a framework of philosophers, And I've used in that diagram the analogy of white light. That's the the divine wisdom. Now, we can't see white light, but we can see it by interposing a diverging lens. A, A diverging lens splits it into the various colors. Now, each color, let's say, represents a particular teaching, a particular sage, a particular scientist these streams the different color streams are not independent they've come from the white light but our job as thinking human beings is to combine these colored streams and reproduce the white light and we recombine the white streams by interposing a converging lens So the diverging lens splits the white light, and this was Newton's famous experiment, but the converging lens brings the various colored streams, the various teachings back together to make white light again. So as above, so below. So that is the reconciling framework of harmony. Mm.
0: And given that we've got so much divisiveness, um going on i think that what what did you call it the reconciling
1: A, a reconciling framework of harmony what a wonderful phrase yeah um so we you know it's not a question of believing or disbelieving it's exactly bringing the colored streams together to see their point of origin
0: yes and I, and I've you know no, I've seen the um the prism and the the rainbow effect mm-hmm. so many times. I've never thought about reversing it. Of bringing everything back to the white, back into the one mm-hmm. the one beam, and and like you say, just mm-hmm. just you know what unites us, and and mm-hmm. how to bring harmony to the um to all the different streams. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, Eddie, is there anything you'd like mm-hmm. to uh, you'd like to say to our our listeners and viewers uh, before we finish up um, this part two of our about a series of your your extraordinary work.
1: Oh, thanks. <laughs> I'll I'll only say what I keep saying to myself. The more you realise how little you are, the sooner you will rise to your greater self. So here, what I'm getting at, getting at is the more you realise how important it is. Keep the ego in abeyance. The more you will create space for the divine light to come through.
0: Mm. Eddie, thank thank you very much as always. Jonathan,
1: Um, thank you so much for your hard work and preparation. Most sincerely appreciated. Thanks, Eddie. Thanks very much. Yeah, all the best.
0: Thank you for listening to the Shepherd Whirlwind podcast. To explore these ideas further, be sure to visit our website, www.shepherdwalwin.com and join our mailing list for news and special offers. Check out our authors and buy the books to learn more. And you can also find us on social media. Links are also on the website. And if you like the podcast, please head over to iTunes or Spotify to give us a review. It's surprisingly helpful in getting the ideas out there. So until next time, keep reading.